Welcome to Views from the North, a Canadian rates and macro podcast. This week, I'm joined by Robert Kapsik, a senior economist from the BMO Economics team. This week's episode is titled, Hopeful on Housing. I'm Ben Reitzis, and you're listening to Views from the North. Each episode, I will be joined by members of BMO's FIC sales and trading team to bring you perspectives on the Canadian rates market and the macro economy. We strive to keep the show as interactive as possible by responding directly to questions submitted by our listeners and clients. We value your feedback, so please don't hesitate to reach out with any topics you'd like to hear about. I can be found on Bloomberg or via email at benjamin.reitzes at bmo.com. That's benjamin.reitzes at bmo.com. Your input is valued and greatly appreciated. Rob, thanks for coming back on the show. It's been, geez, I looked back and I saw that it was April of last year and I thought to myself, I've been negligent for not having you on since then. And clearly I am. So welcome back. Thank you for coming. Appreciate you walking all the way down the hall to, to join me here. Thank you for having me again, sir. Rob is what I would call an expert on housing, um, more definitely more than me, uh, more than most people. And he also is is my go-to guy for for all, all provincial fundamentals as well. But we're going to start on the housing front. Um, we'll, we're going to touch on the Bank of Canada as well, last week's policy announcement. But I think that the, the topic that occupies far too many Canadian conversations is housing. So uh, why not add one more to that? Uh, Rob, we've seen housing look like it's bottoming in the fourth quarter. Uh, sales were pretty weak to start Q4 in, in October, November, but they really bounced in December as mortgage rates have come down. Is that a taste of what's to come in 2024? Are we poised to rapidly rebound? Are we going to move sideways for a little bit longer? Or what does your crystal ball have to say? Well, short answer I would say is we are starting to see the market set a floor now. So sales volumes have leveled off. Prices have more or less bottomed across a lot of the country. Maybe not so much in some markets around Ontario, but we'll, we'll get to that. Uh, and then so for 2024, I would say the market finds stability through the spring because there's a lot of pent-up demand out there. We're getting a little bit of mortgage rate relief psychology is improving too, where everyone now assumes the Bank of Canada is going to cut rates in the second half of this year, uh, whether it's you know May or, or June or whatever the case may be. The reality is that the market is already starting to look ahead to that. So you're seeing more confidence come into the housing market. And so I think that kind of sets us up for an environment where market bottoms and kind of volumes come back. The market starts to clear better, but prices probably don't run too quickly because valuations are still pretty tough. Even in an environment where rates have backed off, valuations are still pretty tough. So you mentioned two things. So valuations is important, obviously, uh, and pent up demand. Uh, so those two things going to interact with each other. The supply and demand fundamentals in housing, and and this is this is this is key. And I think this is where probably I don't know. 80% of people get it wrong, in my opinion, at least. Uh, you you share my view. So. W- where is the imbalance? Can we build more houses? Is it even possible to build more houses without more people to actually build them? Where is the pressure? And if there's that much pent up demand, doesn't it mean prices almost have to, at worst case, flatten out? And if you want to be optimistic, maybe there's upside. Yeah, there, there's a lot to unpack here, right? So supply-demand balance is excess demand, right? Everybody calls it underbuilding or lack of supply. The reality is it's excess demand. And I say that because we physically can't build any more than we already are, right? Remember when the federal budget 
came out in, I think it was 2022. And they had this very noble goal of tripling the rate of housing construction over the next decade. Sounds great. Our immediate reaction was it's just never going to happen, right? Because the industry is at capacity and various other factors. So the fact that we're actually still seeing housing starts run at like 240, 250, 260,000 per year after the bank has raised rates almost 500 basis points is a testament to just how strong the supply side is. And we really can't do anymore, right? So we look at it as excess demand and it's kind of come from two main areas. Number one was the bank cut rates to zero promised Canadians we were going to leave them here for a long time and basically Oops. said, everybody go out and borrow and buy houses. And everybody did it at once. Um, that, worked so, out, that worked out really well. <laughs> yeah. So if you cut the top of that, it, you're, you're, you're obviously not in a good spot right now. But so there's a big excess demand factor there because there's a big psychological component in the housing market. And the minute the Bank of Canada first raised interest rates, the resale market went dead overnight. So they cleaned out that excess demand, so to speak. And there is still fundamental demographic demand, which is why we think the market is going to is gonna bottom out here. And then the other part of it is we've gone from, let's say, four or 500,000 international immigrants per year to now 1.2 million in a very, very short window. And doesn't matter all the great policy measures you push on the supply side, if it's H HST rebates or if it's zoning rules, you can never meet that kind of demand overnight on the supply side. You mean right? you can't build three times <laughs> as many houses you as, you, as you thought you were needed, going to need? No. Shocking. No. So you're right. The, the release for all of this is prices, right? We saw it on the resale side and we're seeing it on the rent side. The rents are running at, what, 7, 8, 10% per year right now in the CPI measurement at least. The reality is market rents are stronger than that. And the resale side is tougher because the demand is there, but people still have to qualify for and pay for mortgage rates that just don't really work at prices that existed 18 months ago. But as those two things kind of balance out where prices are off 20 or 30% in some markets, and if mortgage rates back off somewhere into that 4% range seems to be the sweet spot, then buyers come back in. Okay. Well, rates rates have, I mean, mortgage rates at least have started to come down. We've seen the five-year fixed come down on like 100 basis points. It's still around 5%, but uh, mm -hmm. we're, we're almost in that four handle at least, if not we're a ways to get to 4%. The government announced a cap on on international students. Maybe that helps alleviate some of that, that demand pressure. But uh, personally, I doubt it. Like if we're still bringing in upwards of, I don't know, 750,000 to a million people a year, we still don't have the capacity to build for all those people, given the, the backlog that's already in place. So don't think that that measure is actually going to do a whole lot for, for housing. It just makes things maybe less bad than they otherwise would have been. Maybe that's the way to put it. I don't know. And there, unfortunately, really isn't a silver bullet for all this. Uh, it's just going to take time to unwind all of this pressure. Is there is there any other way out? Time, I would say time, right? Look at like the affordability arithmetic. Prices have corrected, let's say 30%, depending on the market, 20, 30%, which has been necessary, but they've corrected because mortgage rates have risen. So your actual affordability arithmetic from peak to now hasn't changed at all, right? If you're thinking of it as a home buyer making monthly payments on a mortgage. Yep. So where, where you actually usually get affordability relief is when you come out the other side of the cycle where prices have fallen, the Bank of Canada then is able to cut rates and you come into the other side of the cycle, you get some affordability relief. 
And then the other good news is the job market has held up really well. So if you're getting five, six, seven, eight percent wage growth over time, and it's not tomorrow or the next month, but over a couple quarters, a couple years, you can kind of get some kind of affordability balance. But is housing going to get cheap in a market like the GTA? It's not going to get cheap or affordable like it was in you know the early 2000s. That's that's an era that's just gone. Just too much demand, yeah. and that demand isn't likely to go away anytime soon. I think that's it. As long as as long as the demand pressure stays, and, and there's no reason to believe that's going to change anytime soon, the dynamics overall in the market probably don't move enough to satisfy those looking for quote unquote affordable housing. It's going to remain relatively challenging on the affordability side of things. The other side of this too is like you mentioned the student caps. And so so like conceivably we could like cut like half a percentage point off of population growth, maybe in Ontario a little bit more. It doesn't change the arithmetic totally, but it takes a little bit of the excess demand out. But the thing too is that there's like 350,000 units under construction right now, right? And the vast majority, it's almost all condos. Uh, and a lot of that's concentrated in the core markets like the GTA. And like, believe it or not, that's the most we've ever been building in per, in per capita terms. We've never been building more than we are today. So we're actually <laughs> building a lot of houses. Yeah. So, Crazy, right? Yes. But the thing is, a lot of that was investor bought. So the intention there, I think, is to either flip on completion, which a lot of people can't do right now because they'd be negative equity. But so a lot of that's going to find its way onto the rental market, too. And the mechanics there still aren't great because those people are going to be cash flow negative still, just given where mortgage rates are versus when those contracts were inked. Tells you rents still have to go higher. Yeah, uh, that's that's what that math tells me is like, okay, well, if I thought capital appreciation was going to work on this property, it's not. It's cash flow negative given where rents are and where rates are. Rents have to go higher. Yeah, but so if you get all of that supply coming in the next like 18 months, two years or whatever the case may be, you maybe get some some relief on rent. I'm not saying rents are going to fall, but maybe we go from double digit rent growth to something more moderate. We'll see. Yeah, we'll see in the market. And <laughs> the not... problem is in the CPI. The CPI takes so long to pick this up anyway that from like an inflation perspective in the CPI, it's, it's way down the road. I'm not holding my breath on housing softening here uh, as much as as much as I wouldn't mind it, even being a homeowner. I still wouldn't mind it. It just, it's not healthy for, for the country. It's not healthy for the economy. It's not healthy for society to have home prices go one way. And, and to have the amount of attention that people put on housing and, and the amount of time spent on housing, the amount of the share of the economy that's occupied by housing just is not, is not helpful. Uh, it's not constructive. And it, it contributes to Canada's poor productivity uh, over time because just too many, too many resources. Uh, even for contributing to that right now. But yeah, that's what we do on podcasts. <laughs> um, so, okay. So, so I guess the bigger picture. So you're saying the market probably firms through the course of the year, things price-wise, probably bottoming in the first half of the year at some point, whenever that is. We are going to, we're, we're BMO's expecting rate cuts from the Bank of Canada starting in June, which I, which I think is, is, is a really looking pretty good right now. Uh, and as rates fall, prices probably firm up accordingly and keeping that affordability equation more or less static as prices pick up a little bit with, with rates falling. So moving to the bank a little bit here, did you have any other takeaways last week from the, from the Bank Canada? From my perspective, it was they're still focused on inflation. We're just not there yet. And it's just time. Yeah, that's it's, it's the same. I think our call looks good, too. That June call is, is a little bit behind the market. I think you can agree or disagree, but I think our view coming into the year was the market got a little bit hopped up, pricing and rate cuts too early and maybe 
too aggressively for 2024. And the reality now is that, I mean, you said it, inflation is still not where the bank wants it to be. A lot of those core measures are still running with three handles, three month annualized. Uh, and the growth numbers now, November, December, Q4, Q1 are actually holding in better than we thought. Yep. Uh, so the bank is looking at this and saying, okay, they, they've, they've admitted that they think policy is tight enough, but not for long enough yet. So I think mid-year looks good. Yeah, it's, and, and with the Fed looking more focused on, I get where where real rates are rather than how the economy is performing. As PC inflation comes down and core PC, the core PC deflator kind of trends around 2%. They looks like they're going to have the green light at some point in the next few months to cut probably. I suspect the bank will, if they're smart, they'll they'll use that to their advantage and wait a little bit longer and, 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 and watch the Canadian dollar strengthen. That'll help on the inflation front, and then you've, you've, you've I mean, you've done done your job pretty well there, and so that that uh, means June again, even in that scenario, looks looks pretty good generally. So it wasn't, I, I don't think, an overly complicated Bank of Canada, and at this point, it's just about time. And and yeah, this morning's GDP number was shockingly good. I'm not sure I believe it. That's how good it was. I'm never never one to doubt the data. You kind of get what you get, and you don't get upset, but. The December flash was really strong. Would not shock me at all if that gets revised down a little bit. Lots of momentum. It doesn't. I, mean, I guess you did have housing come back in, in the month. Like home sales rose a lot in December and, and rates fell decently. So maybe that sparked some activity. But uh, I don't know. We'll, we'll see if that's in any way sustainable or uh, even even real at the end of the day once we get the uh, the, the final numbers. But some some downward revisions wouldn't shock me here. Uh, it seems seems early for Canada to be rebounding at this point. I have one more question on housing that I forgot to ask. I mean, we talk a lot about Toronto because we're, we're here, but I, I mean, I'm sure a great many people would tell us that it's not the center of the, the universe. What? Uh, well, <laughs> um, what, I mean, what, what what are you seeing in other major centers? So let's say Vancouver, Montreal, and then say broader East Coast, I kind of want to say Nova Scotia and, and Halifax, but just say broader East Coast. So if you want to work through each of those, I think that would be that would be helpful just, just so it's not just a Toronto thing because it, obviously we're more than that. Yeah, no, that's, that's fair. And we're starting to see some pretty big differences now too, like unlike early in the pandemic and coming out of it where everybody kind of went down in a liquid and then everybody rallied when the bank was at zero, like across the board, across the segment didn't really matter. Now we're starting to see some pretty good separation. So I would say top of the list, you would have Calgary and parts of Atlantic Canada. So Moncton's, Halifax, names like that, where prices are at record highs. And they're not running at a double-digit clip, but we're seeing a little bit of incremental price growth from, from record high levels. So that would be top of the pack. Is, is that based on strong population growth? Just good, good inflows of people? Lots of people, demand, very simple, demand and supply. It's a ton of demand and, and attractive valuations yeah, and affordability, relative. right? So look at somewhere like Alberta. Proportionately, you're getting the international inflows pretty uniformly across the country. But in, a, in Alberta's case, they're pulling in like another full percentage point on top of population growth from people moving in, mostly from Ontario. You mean Ontario is not right. affordable, so they're going elsewhere? Shocking. Packing up and leaving, yeah. And what's kind of funny is in the past, you would hear anecdotes of people flying into Fort McMurray for work and stuff like that or to get a better paying job. But now they're moving just for affordability, right? So out of Ontario and the GTA into Calgary because the houses are cheap and the lifestyle is good. And anecdotally, you can sell out of Toronto and take a million dollars of equity, move to Calgary, live a beautiful life. So you're seeing that in the numbers. It's like 50,000 people per year. 
So that's that's supporting it. Bottom of the list, I would say, would be Southern Ontario outside core of the GTA. So those are the markets. When we say markets in some places are down like 30%, it would be those markets. So areas like, you know, Barrie, Guelph, London, Windsor, some of those. And cottage country. Cottage country has been decimated. If only, if only I needed a cottage. Yeah. That would be bottom of the list. And there's not a lot of momentum there. They're, they're starting to balance out a little bit, but those prices are still right on the floor. And then in between is most of those other markets. So Vancouver, parts of BC would kind of be in between. Montreal would be in between. And that's that's basically how the landscape is. So, yeah, I mean, there's even in some of those really hard hit markets in the last like three months or so as rates have come off and the mood has improved, you've seen some of those really deep sellers markets start to improve a little bit where listings have come off a little bit and, and, and demand is coming back. So I don't think you're going to see huge price rebound in those markets that have been hard hit, but at least we're going to probably start to see a floor. So from that perspective, taking all that together, there will be some markets that hang out a bit better and, and perform a bit better. But overall, the national picture is still pretty, pretty uniform. Kind of seems like improving or bottoming, I guess, through the middle of the year and then and then improving in the back half and then relative basis, everyone will just move according to their, their relative performance. The other split we should kind of mention here is singles versus condos and singles in the GTA have already tightened up quite a bit. You're already seeing a lot more activity. Everybody wants a single attached house. That's where the demographic is and we haven't built them for 20 years. It's the same story you and I have been selling for the last, I don't know, 10 years we've been doing this. At least. <laughs> At least. And, and then, then the everybody can't have a backyard and a white picket yeah. fence. Oh, and wait, believe it or not, not everybody houses. does in fact want a backyard and space when you're having two or three kids. That whole narrative that we're going to live in condos in the in the city is it's not what people want. So not what the, I want. The flip side of that is all that condo supply that we talked about. Some of that is going to spill onto the resale market. That's coming down the pipeline. So that's going to probably exaggerate that price gap between singles and condos even further as we go through the next year or two. That'll be interesting. That'll be something to watch in uh, whatever year, 2025 or 2026, when we get more of those condos coming online and you get a bit more of that, I guess, supply skew toward condos versus houses. And maybe people do change their preferences just based on prices. If that price gap moves enough, like if you don't have whatever, two, three, four, five million bucks to buy a house and you have 600,000 to buy a condo, well, maybe your mind changes then. Yeah. It'll be out of necessity, not because people don't want a backyard. There's there's always going to be a bid there. Financial pressures are very powerful. Financial incentives are very powerful, I think. Uh, All right. So I think that covers housing and and the bank is is pretty straightforward here. Why don't we conclude with the provinces? It is almost February, January 31st here as we're recording. Provincial budget season is, I mean, starts in three weeks. We get BC in late Feb and we'll, we'll see who else comes out ahead of year end. I assume we'll get most everybody by the end of March. Are there any broad themes that you're expecting? Things looking good, things looking bad. How are provincial finances shaping up at this point in time? I think we're looking pretty pretty good. So I would say the biggest theme would be that we've kind of transitioned from this environment where, remember the last two fiscal years or so where every province was coming in, every fiscal update better and better and better than expected, right? And the provinces had this huge revenue tailwind relative to what they had expected, some of them are setting the bar low intentionally, I think. We won't name names, but starts with an O. <laughs> so we're, we're kind of transitioning now where, so last budget season a year ago, a lot of provinces built in a really weak economic outlook for 2023, and it didn't quite materialize. 2024 growth is looking a little bit softer. So they almost, they didn't get it wrong. They kind of just got the timing off a little bit. So 2023 came in way better. 2024 is probably going to come in 
I don't want to say worse than expected because the numbers we're seeing come in at the end of 2023 are actually suggesting that growth is going to hold up relatively well, but probably more in line with expectations. So all, all that to say the big revenue upside surprises are probably behind us. And, and inflation is slow too. And that's been a big revenue driver as well. Yep. When nominal growth slows, tax revenue is slow with them. I, uh, from my seat, I think things won't be nearly as bad as I thought they were, or were going to be, given that growth is holding in way better than, than expected here. And if we don't see things really slow down further in, in the first half of the year, and, and um, I'm looking at the U.S. as much as I'm looking at Canada, just the knock-on effects there, like the U.S. hangs in well and, and gets anything close to the growth that we've seen for the past couple quarters, Canada probably doesn't weaken off all that much at the end of the day. And so that means tax revenues probably hang in there. And we'll, we'll see where things end up, but you may not need quite as much issuance as, as feared, call it six weeks ago or so, when, when it looked as though the economy was going to be more or less flat for, I don't know, three to four quarters consecutively. Uh, things looking a, a little bit better now, which definitely helps those those percentage points on GDP, uh, certainly help on, on the revenue side generally. Pecking order for provinces, anyone in better shape than anybody else? Just the other side of that last comment is on the spending side too, right? So a lot of provinces have a couple spending issues, let's say, right? So the debt service costs are pretty straightforward. Those are pushing higher. Even on the public sector wage bill side, a lot of contracts that were kind of set pre-COVID with very slow growth rates are now rolling into an environment where we've had a couple of years of big inflation. So they're getting set a lot higher. You're seeing like labor unrest and, and some pretty big settlements in areas like like Quebec. Oh, they're negoti- they're negotiating right now. They're yeah. still, so... Yeah, so that that's going to put some pressure on going forward. But but you're right. Overall, the balance is still pretty good because the the economy is holding up. So uh, budget balances should hold in relatively well. I would just flag those as a few areas of risk. And we have a few elections coming up this year. The bigger election calendar would be 2025, where you get the Ontarios and the Quebecs, I believe, along with the federal government. But this year we get BC as one of the big elections to watch. So there's some spending pressure coming there. Uh, pecking order... I still like Alberta. I mean, fundamentally, the economy is head and shoulders above the rest of the country. It's hard not to. <laughs> $75 oil, that's right on their midterm fiscal projection. So they're still bringing in good revenues there with oil up, dollar down. So there's you know, still a great story there. And even from a spread perspective, I, you know, they look pretty good relative to somebody like British Columbia, where I would argue fiscally they're in a tougher spot mostly because of political spending pressure and, and boring pressure in, in BC. How about Ontario versus Quebec? You know, they're both, I mean, they trade pretty well in line. I would kind of view them both pretty well in line as well, just based on just straight up fiscal metrics, right? If you're looking at deficits, debt, debt service costs relative to GDP or relative to revenue, they're both, they're both pretty well in line. I'd say like Quebec was a great story for a number of years. They've kind of stepped back a little bit because they've been spending more and kind of succumbing to some of the political pressure to do things like just spend, just send out a few billion dollars worth of checks to Quebec households, right? Inflation payments. And that came straight out of the bottom line. Wasn't, was it necessary? Probably not. So little things like that have kind of, they've not really like put stress on Quebec's books, but they've kind of downgraded them in my mind a little bit, just the way they are not prioritizing fiscal consolidation as much as they were in the past. Um, Ontario looks Pretty good. I mean, they have a. I would say they have a pretty good opportunity to to lock in some credit rating upgrades here if they want to. If they want to come out with a strong budget in the spring, they're probably right there to do so. And I think they're starting to pre-borrow already too for next year. Yeah. So that's that's helpful. Okay. When market conditions are good right now. Okay. 
I think that's everybody. Uh, I mean, there's some, some smaller guys we haven't mentioned, but we're, we're, I'm going to have Rob back probably either late in the budget season or just after the budget season. And I'll rope in Jordan Trigger, our provincial trader, and then we'll get a, a fundamental and market view on the provincial space at the same time. I think that'll be uh, very topical at the time. So Rob, thanks for coming on this week. Appreciate your views. And again, I will have you on within the next few months. Thanks. Sure thing. Thank you, Ben. Thanks for listening to Views from the North, a Canadian rates and macro podcast. I hope you'll join me again for another episode. The views expressed here are those of the participants and not those of BMO Capital Markets, its affiliates, or subsidiaries. For full legal disclosure, visit bmocm.com slash macrohorizons slash legal.